I got to thinking about, as I do each time uh, Christmas rolls around, how can, how can I present something new? And, um, and then I start thinking about <laughs> what do I need to hear? I've taken the angle of wise men at times, shepherds other times, um, a variety of people that are sort of not very visible in the uh, narrative of Jesus arriving. Uh, it's, it's fun to do. Uh, I think one time in many years of preaching, I even did something from the animal's point of view. I, it, it wasn't a sermon that many people asked for a copy of, but anyway, it was, uh, it was a nice try on my part. It tells you I try to get into the moment, and um, hopefully this morning will help us. Because I, I'm fascinated by some words. This is the first of three um, sort of presentations. This next Sunday, which we call Christmas Sunday, don't miss it. Uh, children will be here, and it'll be really fun, and um, I think you'll go home more than charmed. I think you'll be impacted. Uh, I'm calling it true, true Christmas, this being true peace today, and then next Sunday, true joy, and then Christmas Eve, true light. So obviously, I give you a hint that I believe that there are imitations of all three of those. And I'm talking to people here and there who have experienced that. Maybe you've received an imitation form of peace or joy. And one that's easy to give, actually, to even receive is hope. When somebody gives you a hope that's not real, but it was a nice try, you don't react and get nasty or something like that, but you know your soul knows that won't work for very long. It's not sustainable is what I'm saying. So there's a difference, isn't there? Uh, 30 years ago, we lived, Debbie and I, and we had a little girl at that time, a toddler, Carrie Ann. Uh, we lived in Southern California when the police beating of Rodney King uh, was caught on videotape. If you're of any age, you remember that, like you remember the space shuttle Challenger and other um, unforgettable things. Uh, when the officers charged with the excessive use of force were acquitted on April 29, 1992, L.A. erupted in riots. We lived there. We remember in horror uh, both the beating but what followed it. And there was almost a wave of mob behavior that was moving from Los Angeles to where we lived. And literally, malls were shutting down in our area quickly and abandoning uh, for fear of what could happen. When calm was finally restored six days later, uh, 35 people had died. I'm, correct me, 53 people had died. And on day three of this mayhem, a very shaken Rodney King was uh, approached by a camera crew. Well, what might you say to the people out there that are just out of their minds angry? What might you say? And you remember his famous words, can't we all get along? 
We remember that. I've remembered that in, in days recent in Portland. Uh, I, I, I wonder that about Ukraine and what Russia's doing. Can't we all get along? And evidently, the answer is no. At least not for very long. And it's, it turns out to be an indisputable fact of human history as well, what I just said. We can't get along. There's this glorious creation, and it's not followed by many chapters until there's the first, yep, you got it, murder. What's up with this? Can't we get along? Uh, for as far back as we have reliable historical data, <laughs> conflict and unrest have been part of hum the human story. So I'm not talking to people about a magic sauce that's going to fix it. You know better than that. Uh, but today, um, as we approach yet another year, end of 2022, and the Christmas season, I looked around my world, which is our world, and I noticed two things. First of all, worldwide, there is still a lack of peace. Everywhere you go. I, I started to research what I just said and thought, are you kidding me? It's an easier statement to make where is there, what, you know, where is there peace rather than a lack of peace? It's just everywhere. The headlines are just an overwhelming string of wreckage and mayhem and tragedy. So I don't need to go there, don't, nor do I plan to. But that's the first thing that struck me, a worldwide lack of peace. So if you're watching from a place in the world that you think's at peace, I don't mean this tongue-in-cheek, but stick around. I, you know, it's, it's a problem. And the second thing I noticed, almost everywhere, a, a, people everywhere still longing for peace. Amazing. Uh, who among us hasn't wondered about words that are contained in the narrative in Luke chapter 2 of Jesus' arrival when uh, an angel, actually a, a host of angels were told, probably uh, too many to count, came to the birth site and uh, to the shepherds who were out in the fields were told nearby in Bethlehem and they Announced glory to God in the highest and on earth. What? Peace to those on whom his favor rests. So uh, this morning I want us to give our attention to those eight words. Eight words that make up what's known by uh, sort of people that have been observing this for a long time. The Latin gloria is the words, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Of course, you and I know today it's men and women. One doesn't need to know anything. Frankly, you can't know everything uh, meant by those words uh, 
to raise your hand and actually hear me say, when I say peace to men on whom his favor rests, you want to raise your hand and say, yes, yes, please. I, I personally, I would like for peace in a, in, to be really true in my personal life. If that's you, raise your hand right now. I can see your hands. Yeah, it's true, right? I want that peace. I want it in my job. I want it in my marriage. I want it in my home. I want it in my neighborhood. I want it in my school. Um, I want it in the mall. Uh, stay away from it this time of year if you want it in the mall, but you get my idea. Some might even admit, though, who had their hands in the air, I don't have it, and, and to be honest, Pastor, I'm, I'm just fighting back a little cynicism this morning because I'm not sure it's more than just a dreamy thought out there somewhere that may never become a reality in here. Uh, if that's true um, of your view today, or it describes somebody, and I say this often because you know somebody's, as I do, every week I wish were here to hear something like this. This message is for you, okay? Or for them. So here's the big idea. I'm going to say this about, I think, three times this morning. So there's enough uh, opportunity for you to write it down. There's no sermon sheet today because this is not an intellectual. This is a journey through a truth, finding peace, true peace. Uh, so I'll give you a chance to write this down, tap it into your phone. I don't care how you do it. Or if you choose not to, your uh, photographic memory, good for you. Way to go. So here it goes, all right? True peace isn't possible apart from a personal relationship with the Prince of Peace, Jesus. So you want true peace? Let me substitute a word. You want lasting peace? How many want that? I want it. That's why both hands are up. I want true peace. I want lasting peace. But it isn't possible outside a personal relationship with I'm not making up these words. The Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. So, you probably knew that a longing for peace um, goes way, way back in the Bible. In fact, 3,500 years it can be traced all the way back to Numbers chapter 6. I'm going to have us bounce three or four times. We might need a click more light, Kevin, so people can see their Bibles. Would you go back to the beginning of the book, the Bible? There's a Pentateuch. It's called first five books. Genesis, help me, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. We're stopping at book four, okay, Numbers, All right? Go there to chapter six this morning. And um, <clears throat> The Israelites, as you're making your way there, let me just catch this for you. They had been held in bondage for a very long time as slaves. And here they are in Numbers chapter 6, they've been freed. In these words, God's declaring a blessing, a priestly blessing, named after Moses' brother Aaron in chapter 6. And I, it, it pulsated still does, in the hearts 
of Jews, the Jews that heard it that day for the first time and ever since. Verse 22, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. And tradition holds that the one giving the blessing, the priestly blessing would raise his hands up as I'm going to do right now. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord (laughs) make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and what? Give you peace. And you and I from the pandemic, you remember the phenomenal song we sang here at Grace Point and people sang all over the world uh, in really creative ways. The Lord bless you and keep you. You know, it goes on and on, but I'm not going to go. All right? It's so good. And why is it good? Well, it's a cool song, Carrie Job, the whole deal. But you know what? It's something our, our souls are saying I'm hungry for. I'm interested in that. And somehow inside us, and I believe this or it wouldn't be here in the Bible, something that your soul, sometimes your head will get in the way, but your heart's saying, you know what, that's true. The Lord is the one who will bless. You know, we say somebody sneezes, God bless you. But when God really blesses you and me, we get the stuff of how this blessing ends, peace. So peace here in Numbers, a quick little uh, program note, if you will, or a, a reality check. Peace isn't just the absence of stuff like conflict or war. Okay, we get that. You know, the Middle East peace accords with a previous, uh, I think that was President Carter or something, but but way back, the peace accords, and and they were a real document, and we get that. And it means basically stop fighting, you know, we we will get along. Rodney King's words will hold true until they don't, all right? But this goes deeper than just absence of conflict. It goes into things like uh, completeness and rest and give you rest. Or here's one, give you well-being. It gets bigger. The word is shalom. And it's something that is used today as a greeting, both a hello in Hebrew uh, circles and a goodbye. And a whole bunch of other stuff in between. So it's a, it's a word. Think of a diamond. I could go on and on in describing it. But I would encourage you to research it some. Uh, what does shalom mean? Go to Got Questions. One of my favorite go-tos on the web. GotQuestions.org. Incredibly sound scholarship. And brief. You don't have to be a scholar to get it. So ask the question. What does shalom mean? S-H-A-L-O-M. And you'll see it's, it's really quite colorful in the Bible. That's what's being used here. And he will give you shalom. Uh, Debbie and I years ago spent summers in Eastern Europe in Hungary. When we arrived, it was in the days of the, uh, we used to call it the Iron Curtain. It was in the days of communist, atheistic 
uh, totalitarian control of many countries by the Soviet Union. Hungary, where we were, was one of them. So when we arrived in Hungary in the late 80s and then into the early 90s, the summers of those years, uh, we noticed something right away. We, we were trained to notice this. We were actually briefed ahead of time. But had no one said anything to us, you would have seen it as plain, plain as day. These people were distressed and downcast. I like color, okay? I'm, I'm kind of one color, really, today. But I like color. I look around. I see color in this room. I look around. I see uh, ladies dressed in nice color. Guys are kind of just us. But... Uh, you know, it's good. It's a mix. I like color, right? There wasn't much in Hungary. It's kind of black and white. It was gray. And there's a reason it was gray. There was this palpable sense of hopelessness. During those years, Hungary was known in the world as a modern nation with the highest suicide rate on planet Earth. And people that paid attention had no problem understanding why. They were absolutely suffocated by this foreign oppressor. How long, you ask? Forty years. Now back to the text. They had been suffering as, as prisoners, uh, slaves by Pharaoh in Egypt, for 10 times as long, 400 years. So now you start to feel that pulse. If you're a Jew hearing these words, you're like, God, give me peace. Some our people haven't had for, for 400 years. That's 10 generations. We don't even know the word peace. So it, you can see why it, it means a lot to... Uh, to have us read that right now. Jews of every generation, and this is true to this day. I had a memorial service, a Jewish service. I, it, it was one of the great honors of my years here. And it was, um, I was asked at the end to quote um, the Shema, which is in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, the Lord your God. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and teach it to your children, and so on and so forth. But they wanted me to quote it in Hebrew. <laughs> and I knew I had to do a lot of <laughs> so, so I started with hair, O Israel, but that wasn't enough, you know, right? And they were so kind and gracious. But I read the text in Deuteronomy 6, and they teared up, a whole bunch of them because it resonates in their soul. I think it does in ours as well. We just don't have the tradition behind it. We want lasting peace. Uh, but peace continued to elude God's people. Despite this blessing that sort of starts out, it was actually stated a year after they were set free. Deuteronomy, or uh, Numbers. So, uh, flip forward. I told you we would move quickly. We will now to Isaiah. Would you go to Isaiah chapter 9? And Dan, while you're on your way there, Daniel, this morning, 
amazing reading of Daniel 9. I want folks to just see, not necessarily hear it again, because you did such an outstanding job of catching our attention with that. So thank you, brother. Um, uh, turning there, Isaiah chapter 9. Would you just find your way there? It's uh, after Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. There you go. Okay, chapter 9. Lasting peace was still something that God's people hoped for, but hadn't happened. They were students of God's word. They were interested in the truth. So when Isaiah, who was a real guy, a prophet, who uh, spoke these words and they were later recorded, the, the people uh, had this like epiphany moment. There was this, oh my goodness. So with that sense of being there when they were first stated, look at verse 2. The people walking in darkness, says the great prophet, have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. So those, you and I read that and we go, that's future. Indeed it was, 700 years in the future. But here's Isaiah saying it just 700 years after where we were in Numbers. So it's kind of right in between. That's why I chose it. But listen to what it's saying. These people are hearing that. The people walking in darkness, they're standing around going, that's us. It's been the world we've known. They've seen a, a great light. And, and speculation ran rampant, especially when the words of verse 6 as Daniel read them, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on, from that time on, and forever. And I love this finish in verse uh, 7. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That's God saying, I will pull this off myself. Don't need help. Got it covered. Amen. So, so the, the speculation was big. Who, what's this about? Who could this be? And more probably personal for us. When's this going to happen? When will that time come? And, and where? <laughs> and how? Um, Jews, it's hard to capture it so such a short amount of time, but trust me when I say Jews at this time in history were, were very weary uh, from war and strife. Even though that blessing was stated back in number six, they were super weary. Because right after that came Joshua and then the judges. You know how many years are involved there? 350 years. Oh yeah, moments of peace. But they didn't last. Twelve judges had to come in. They were called judges or heroes, really. Rescuers. Why? Because we're in a spot. Because we got us a new a problem. It's not new. It's happened before. 
here we are again. Right? It's, it's the feeling we have today living. You think, man, we got it. We're finally in a good groove. And then it doesn't last. It goes away. Uh, they felt that. But that was 350 years. And then finally, the last judge, Samuel, steps in and God says, I'm going to be their king. I'll be, I'll be the ruler here. And that didn't last long because the people actually rejected Samuel as the leader, as God's man, and said, we want a real king, you know, like our neighbors. And so the first of, ready for this, 31 kings came, a sordid list too, and I choose my words carefully. There were a few good ones, but most were duds. Most were not good. That's the kind of thing that was in the hearts of these people. It, it, their experience and all they have been told all these years, that's totaling 700 years, by the way, just shy of that. All they've ever been told is, ah, it won't last. We call that pessimism. You know, it's that, yeah, the greatest news in the world. Yeah, well, something will fall through. Something's not going to go right. Not going to turn out. You know, whatever. And I'm not scolding anybody. I'm just admitting sometimes my temperament. And, and, and these people could almost feel their hearts explode when they read these words, a child will be born. <gasps> you know? Wow. Um, they had no concept except the words we've just read. Uh, and he would come, the promised one would come. As you might expect through Isaiah, if you know the Bible, uh, he's the prophet who said more about the coming one, Jesus, the promised one, than any other writer in the Old Testament. And he gave much clarity when it came to the coming Messiah, 700 years before Jesus came. And one more passage for you to look at from the Old Testament, also in Isaiah. Go to chapter 53. And um, because despite Isaiah's efforts to give clarity, uh, they missed it. They missed it. See if you don't agree as you turn to Isaiah 53. As we read this, ask yourself, I just want to ask one question for you as a lens through which to look at these words. Five verses in Isaiah 53. The lens is, take the face value question with you. Who is being described? Isaiah 53, look at verse 1. Who has believed our message? Begins Isaiah. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 2, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of mankind by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces 
He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. It's given you more than a few hints, isn't it? Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by God, and afflicted. He was pierced, the most inf- uh, gra- uh, descriptive words in this section, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us, what? Peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The shalom of God would come through the Son of God. I mean this respectfully, but unbelievably, people missed it. They still do. We refer to people that have this knowledge, many of them from the tradition of Judaism, they, they, when they come to, their eyes are open. Second Corinthians talks about, in the case of the unbelieving, they can't see, their eyes are darkened. But when the veil's removed and they see this, they become what we've known, come to call, completed Jews. Their Messiah is here and now living in their hearts. It's a beautiful picture. It's just a great thing. But many haven't turned that corner yet. Uh, they don't believe Messiah has come. And as a result, they're living without the, the, the shalom, the peace of God. Let me say it another way. The peace of God, which we've defined very briefly as completeness and rest and wholeness, that peace of God um, can only come through the God of peace. That makes sense? It's not a stuff. It's not a, um, you know, swallow this once a day stuff. I sometimes say it's not pixie dust, which is more magic. It's not that. It's through a connection to a real person, the Prince of Peace. And when that connection is established, the Bible ensures it will never be broken. Which means, when you connect with the Prince of Peace, you get permanently all that comes from him. A couple of thoughts on that. Um, Remember the statement we started with. True peace isn't possible apart from a personal relationship with the Prince of Peace, Jesus. There are words in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 that says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we, doesn't say can have, it says we have shalom, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the truth here. So I didn't just make up this idea that you connect with the Prince of Peace and then you have peace. The Bible is emphatically saying, having been justified by God, that means declared righteous, cleansed of our sins after we've repented of them, he comes to live in us, and that day the judge says, not guilty, 
You're de declared righteous. And as a result of that, Paul says we can have peace with God, shalom with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen. It's so cool and so, um, you know, non-magic. It's, it's a relationship connection here that's being talked about. So I want to I kind of tie this talk together by words of Jesus himself. So necessarily we've got to turn one more time, and you'll love this one, to John's Gospel, chapter 14. And it's uh, not only one of my favorites, uh, chapter 14, and I'll have you flip the page to 16 in a minute. But just I say this often because I really want you to get it. It'll change your connection to it. Uh, it happens to be, I'll just say it, John's favorite. The guy that wrote it, uh, and I and I believe I know why. He actually spent five chapters on the last night of Jesus' life. He had three years to to work from. He chose five of his twenty-one chapters, talking about that last night. You follow my logic? I think he was just mesmerized. Uh, so much so, I'm going to hold this up. I don't know if it'll show on TV or anything, but. Uh, my Bible actually has red ink all over the page. Um, it's, not, it's not meant to, to do anything except alert me to the fact that these are Jesus' own words. So I'm about to read two verses. This is in his own words on the last night before he went to the cross. So the next day after what we're about to read, that's key. I'm not giving you unnecessary details. It's key to know that the very next day by noon, he's hanging from a cross, actually by nine in the morning, and he surrenders his spirit at noon. He dies. So here we are on the last night, and he reveals these things, not to the world, to 11 who were left of his closest followers, his disciples. Let me just say personally what I want to be what I've purposed to be in my life. Okay? So 14, verse 27. Jesus, the meal's over. They're just chatting. Peace I leave with you. He goes personal now. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you the peace of the world. So do not let your hearts be troubled nor afraid. What a tender moment. I said turn the page. Just gently turn to chapter 16 in the last verse. The very next chapter, he goes to prayer and he prays the entire chapter. It's recorded. It's a beautiful prayer. But verse 33, he says, These things I have told you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation and trouble, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Amen? It's, it's a powerful moment. Jesus is giving a gift to his forgiven followers. 
Unlike the temporary, he says it himself, superficial peace that's available in the world, so is Advil, but the pain will come back, right? I, it's, that's how I, one time I was, I was saying some of this stuff in a very different set of clothes at a university gathering in Cal State Fullerton, and um, I said, I want you to pretend I'm not a preacher for a sec. I just want you to imagine that I'm your doctor. You come to me and you got a problem and it's, it's a big problem or you wouldn't come and, and spend your time and money to see me. So we start talking. I ask you some questions. I got a stethoscope. And I whip it out and I listen to you and I'm checking here and here and here and I have you cough and I'm pressing different places and suddenly I press you in a place and you go, ah! And, and I press again just to verify. That's torture, by, by the way. But I do it again. You go, ah, that's enough. Ah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. And I, and I look at you with a, note, with a, with a knowledgeable look. And I, and I say, okay, okay. Hey, I got this. Uh, listen, I, I, and I reach behind me in this exam room and I open a cabinet and there's, some, there's a jar of there's medicines and I pick a jar. And I hand you the jar and I say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take one of these three times a day. Like right after you leave here, get some water, swallow the first one three times a day. And you'll be, this, this won't be hurting anymore. And you're like, whoa, that's amazing. And you leave and I say, wait, hold on. And I hand you a, a bill <laughs> and then you leave. And on the way out to the car, you stop or look on the way and you're trying to read the words. What did he just give me? And you can't make out most of them because they're really big words on purpose, I think. But anyway, um, you read two words at the bottom, painkiller. You look at the jar closely and you realize there's only about 20 pills in it. How do you feel right now toward me, your doctor? I'll save you the words. Some guy from the back of this huge lecture hall said, you're a quack. <laughs> I said, well, my name is McCracken, so just for the record. but You're a quack is what he said. I said, why? That's not good medicine. He, he was on it. I said, why not? I'm helping you feel better. Yeah, but what happens when we run out of pills? I said, people, that's what I've given my life to. Telling people, you will run out of pills. Peace won't last. It won't. And you're going to go, here we are again. So when Jesus says, I'm giving you something, in me you will have peace. In the world you have troubles. Jesus is saying my peace because you have my presence will never leave you. It's a peace that is strong and really it's a simple connection. It makes us steady in the storms of life. Um, don't miss, Jesus said, you will have troubles. So it's not coming to him and going, wow, now he spares you all the trouble and pain. No, we know that. Um, 
but it's a peace that says, because he overcame, so will you. I read this story by Billy Graham, which helped me to personalize the shalom that Jesus is offering here. Listen to this. The sea was beating against the rocks in huge dashing waves. The lightning was flashing and thunder was roaring and the winds were blowing hard. But the little bird was asleep in the crevice of the rock, its head serenely tucked under its wing, sound asleep. Graham adds, that is peace. To be able to sleep in a storm. In Christ, we are at peace in the middle of the storms of this world. The confusion, the complexities. The storm will continue to rage, but the shock of all shocks, you're still at peace. We have found peace, people, in in Jesus, the Prince of Peace. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Um, No wonder the angels rejoiced as they made the announcement that Jesus Christ the Prince of Peace had been born. Those words we read at the beginning, I'll return to them now. The angels were the ones that said it. It's great host. Peace to people on whom his favor rests. Their words. Uh, I want to ask you, are those your words? Is that true of you? Right now. Some of you watching from other places, maybe a first time in church. It's okay. I had a first time, came back. Is that true of you? Um, Maybe you're not sure. Here's the deal, you can be. Uh, The angel said it was good news. That's how they began, good news of great joy. And he said that it's for all people. Good news is Jesus who came for all people. Um, It wasn't that God sent a, a, a judge or what do we send today to fix a problem? A reformer. He didn't send a reformer, and he he definitely didn't, though many thought he would, send a military uh, commander that would get rid of all their enemies. He sent a savior to meet a much greater need, humanity's greatest need. One historian said it this way, life was difficult at Jesus' time, just as it is today. Taxes were high, morals were low, and the world then and now was in conflict. 
Roman law, Greek philosophy, even Jewish religion could not meet the needs of the human heart. And then God sent his son. Need met. Put away the pills. Here's the deal, people. To offer people peace apart from Jesus, I'm going to call it in a professional language, is malpractice. That doctor analogy I used earlier, that's done by some people, and it's wrong. It's like offering to a thirsty person dirty water. So have I, have I helped you if you're thirsty and I hand you a glass of, let's call it polluted water or whatever? Well, you could say, yeah, sort of. Um, you quenched my thirst, and I would have to agree with you. But it might not be very long afterwards when I introduce to you actually a deeper problem, a greater problem, one that may actually cause you your life. Jesus described this truth that I'm just mentioning in water, in the water analogy, to a woman, a thirsty stranger to him. In John chapter 4, you don't have to turn there. He said, anyone who drinks this water, she was there at a well, thirsty. He said, you know what, you're going to thirst again, which is true, even if it's clean water. And then he said of himself, those who drink the water I give, who I am will never thirst again. In fact, it will become a fresh bubbling brook inside them that will give them eternal life. It's an analogy, but it gets the point, doesn't it? So remember, true peace is not possible outside of a personal relationship with Jesus. I'd like you to bow your heads with me this morning. <coughs> I, I want to ask you what I've been hinting at all morning. Have you come to the source of badly needed peace in your life? I don't, I'm not looking at a single person that doesn't need peace and want it very badly. But I'm asking you the more personal question. Have you come to the source of peace in life, Jesus? If you haven't, please do so now. You, you just come to him. You just say, Jesus, I'm opening the door. You knock on the doorway, the doorpost of every human's heart, and I'm going to open the door now. I know I got a mess on the inside, but pardon the dust, pardon the mess. I just want you. And I've longed for peace and it's been out of reach for me. So give me your peace and he'll come in. And if you're doing that this morning, would you please reach out, Steve at gracepointfamily.com. I want to talk with you. I want to just encourage you uh, how to have that lasting peace. The story of Christmas is all about um, an amazing love in which God sent his son to a sin-sick 
world that we live in to save it. So come this Christmas and see what God has done through his son and experience, truly experience lasting peace forever. Let's follow in song right now.